Hello, this is James Patterson. I just wanted to wish Book a happy one-year anniversary. I always look forward to Patterson Watch, so I can tell when the books with my name on them come out, because I don't write them and I have no idea. I'm going to go roll around in piles of my own money now. See you next year, Book. Welcome to Book, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. This week, the book we're talking about is Zoo, co-authored by James Patterson and Michael Ludwidge. A little bit about the authors. James Patterson is James Patterson, blah, blah, blah. Um, probably you know most from the world-famous uh, Patterson Watch portion of our show that we do on a regular basis. The other author, Michael Ledwidge, uh, we, we scoured the internet for the absolute best author bio we could find, and this is what we have. Michael Ledwidge is an American author of Irish descent. His most successful, <laughs> his most successful writing uh, has been several books he has co-authored with the best-selling author James Patterson. You know, it's funny because probably about six weeks ago when we were first talking about reviewing this book, I found a much more extensive bio for him. I'm wondering if you read your Manarchy article on uh, your author bio probably sucks, and now that's what you get is two sentences where his claim to fame is uh, James Patterson. Uh, well, I guess the flip side of that is he just doesn't have anything impressive to say about himself. Yeah. Well, my, my bio, when you find it online, um, it just basically says that I co-host a uh, book review podcast and once got to hang out with Sean P. Ferguson. Really? Your bio where? Yeah, you have to look for it. It's, oh. it's almost <laughs> as hard to find as Michael Ledwidge, <laughs> Ledwidge's, but uh, yeah, that's that's my claim to fame, playing right. on the notoriety of... Uh, of uh, the Ferg. Well, it is Sean Ferguson, after all. It is. So, hey, after all the Patterson watches we've done, we finally got to sit down and read a Patterson book. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the thing, because, like, uh, he does 14 books a year, and they're all a part of some sort of existing series. So we made it, We made that mistake early on with um, Three Seconds and The Mozart Conspiracy, our, two, our first two books. Never again. I'm not going to say never. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know, but we try not to. <laughs> All right. So in reading the synopsis, Patterson synopses are always just so effing awesome um, and grandiose that I thought it'd be fun if uh, we broke it up a little bit and did a little bit back and forth. Mind if I kick it off? Go for it. Right. Once in a lifetime, a writer puts it all together. This is James Patterson's best book ever. Total. For 36 years, James Patterson has written unputdownable pulse racing novels. Now he has written a book that surpasses all of them. Zoo is the thriller he was born to write. World. All over the world, brutal attacks are crippling entire cities. Jackson Oz, a young biologist, watches the escalating events with an increasing sense of dread. When he witnesses a coordinated lion ambush in Africa, the enormity of the violence to come becomes terrifyingly clear. Destruction! With the help of ecologist Chloe Toussignant, Oz races to warn the world leaders before it's too late. The attacks are growing in ferocity, cunning, and planning, and soon there will be no place left for humans to hide. With wildly inventive imagination and white-knuckle suspense that rivals Stephen King at his very best, James Patterson's Zoo is an epic non-stop thrill ride from, quote, one of the best of the best, unquote. And that quote's from Time Magazine. Um, I've read some of Stephen King at his very best. I don't know that it's fair to say that this book falls in that category. I hate Stephen King books, and I still think that that's an unfair comparison. So, um, yeah, I, uh, I don't know. Can we start with the cover this time? Let's start right at the front of the book. Yeah. Is there or is there not on the cover the big picture of the Eiffel Tower? Yes. Is there even one scene in this book that takes place in France? You know what? I'm glad you said that <laughs> because I, I was thinking the same thing when I finished the book. I was like, you know, I'm looking at this cover and something just doesn't seem right. Oh, right. They never even were in Paris, but... Chloe is French. Yeah, still. <laughs> I just, you know, I, I kept waiting for the scene where there's like, you know, gorillas climbing the Eiffel Tower. 
It never came. Never. Maybe, yeah. It's in the uncut or the, the un, it's the deleted chapter or something. Oh, God. Will they come out with a like an editor's cut or a director's cut that we could read again afterwards? <laughs> it's going to be like the stand. Like 15 years later, he's going to come out with the extra chapters. Um, so uh, there you have it. That's, uh, the synopsis. So, um, here's the deal. Jackson has, is, and Rob has very detailed notes for almost every single chapter. I swear he put more work into the notes for this book than he has in the previous hundred plus episodes that we've done. Mm, maybe. Um, James, pa- uh, James Patterson. God damn it. It's going to be a long episode. Jackson Oz um, has kind of been ousted from the scientific community um, because he has observed or feels that there is an increase in the number of animal attacks on humans. And he has started to kind of put together this theory or this this warning that he's been issuing um, about these increased attacks and how the scientific community, uh, you know, in coordination with the government, maybe the CDC, like need to investigate what's going on and what's causing these um, attacks so it can be stopped before it gets out of control. Do you remember what his name for the phenomenon is? H-A-C? Do you remember what it stands for? Nope. Neither do I. <laughs> Human-animal conflict, maybe? Yes, that's exactly what it is. All Very right. good. That's how we're introduced to the book. Um, he's yeah, he's this kind of joke in the scientific community, and we're, we're introduced to the story at the point where he's about to have a major breakthrough, um, which makes him... He was kind of doubting himself about whether he was actually a joke and it was all in his head or something was really happening. And he was, you know, at that point where he's ready to give up on everything and then this thing happens and he's got this weird, like, matrix style wall of computers where somehow he's hacked into security feeds from all over the world and he can watch animal attack. I'm really not sure exactly the technology or like like the Oz Turnet that he was using or whatever for this, but um let's be fair. He was DVRing news reports, I think is what that was. Is that what the- <laughs> Yeah. And he was like fast forwarding to like world news or whatever and like going through it looking for animal attacks. Well, I, I'm fairly certain he saw security footage from well, I guess it's probably from the uh, the news report. So okay, that, fine. I, I took it as as being way more I don't know, underground. I think the internet was involved at least as part of the source of the Oh, wow, sure. But anyway, um, I lost my point. It's really not a point anyway, but uh, he's losing faith in himself and this thing happens that makes him, you know, re- rekindles his his feeling that something terribly wrong is, is about to go terribly wrong. I'm only going to mention this next part so, uh, so I can ridicule it later, probably in the quotes. Um, <laughs> we got away then to uh, his girlfriend with the crazy red hair. Do you remember what her name was? Natalie? Natalie, very good. So um, we cut away to where he has to rush off to an emergency on his pager, which is a a booty call from Natalie, his his very red-haired girlfriend. I just want to mention that now in case it comes up later. I know it's going to come up for a couple of reasons later. So this booty, you know what? I I don't know if I'm going to have the constitution to go like, you know, blow by blow through Mm -hmm. the beginning of this. But um, uh, essentially, yeah, so he gets contacted by this friend in Africa and um, there's some sort of breakthrough where there's lions or are attacking humans in a way that lions typically wouldn't attack humans. So, of course, you know, this guy who's unemployed and, um, you know, a laughing stock in the community of science has to get on a plane for Africa, like, right away and, um, you know, pays third $3,000, even though he's, like, unemployed and broke for a plane ticket and, and then rushes off to Africa to, to try and get firsthand accounts of these unusual attacks so that he can uh, prove that he's right and not just some joke. Well, I guess say one more thing about the, the kind of the, the way the story goes is uh, he does get this footage in Africa of, of lions behaving in a way that's unnatural. And then he does use this footage um, to, to try and, and warn um, the rest of the world and kind of regain his credibility in the scientific community. I think that's pretty much all we really have to say for a story set up at this point. Did we mention the monkey we didn't mention the monkey <laughs> no nope, we did not mention so one of the biggest parts of the beginning of the story that you think is going to be very integral to what's going on um is the fact that this is a, a, a you know this is a disgraced scientist living in new york city within the city uh in an apartment building with 
an orangutan. Is an orangutan a chimpanzee? Chimpanzee. It's a chimpanzee. Mm-hmm. So he's living with a, like a five-year-old chimpanzee, um, and and so he's this guy who thinks that animals, for for unknown reasons, are being unusually aggressive towards humans, and he decides to live with a chimpanzee in an apartment building in New York City. Well, to be fair, he did rescue that chimpanzee from perfume testing. Which obviously will not come up at any point later in the book. Nope. Nope. That's why we forgot to mention it. So I forgot to mention it because it's so incidental. I think we've done as good as we can to like give this to be like fair to this book. Yes. Here's where we start being not fair to the book. It's like 90 chapters, right? In 350-ish pages. 96 or 98. Yeah, something like that. So it's a new chapter every, you know, two to three pages, sometimes less. It's written in large part first person from Oz's standpoint. And I say Oz because that's what he wants people to call him, not Jackson or Jack, just Oz because it's much cooler. Um, until it shifts away occasionally. And the first time that happens is uh, so there's like like a prologue that starts off at the zoo. It's about these two lions. Then it goes to being Jackson for, I don't know. 15, 20 chapters. Then it switches to Omnipotent Narrator, which I was really confused about because on that first page, it starts talking about these lions and what these lions had done previously. And I'm thinking, how the hell does our narrator know that you know this has happened? Like, there he's come across these lions, but all of a sudden, we're hearing a history of the lions. So it does occasionally go into a Omnipotent Narrator, but not regularly enough for it to have been... I don't know how to say that for it to be natural. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like it's very sporadic. So you'll go like 10, 15 chapters. Then you'll have one chapter that's third person. You go five, six more chapters. Then you'll have three chapters that are third person, which is very weird. Yeah. I, I don't think that stylistically it was really well assembled, I guess is the most um, diplomatic way I could say it. And um, come Compound. All right, it's a bunch of things. It's a bunch of problems that just compound on each other. So, the narration is is irregular. Um, the writing is just, and I'm trying to be as nice as I can, but it's just piss poor. I'm gonna go right to a quote. This is eleven pages into the book, and this is an entire chapter, and this is where I really started thinking we're we're in trouble. And pay close attention to the narration, Livius. Uh, he takes a pack of parliaments from his breast pocket. No, I'm sorry. He takes a pack of parliaments from the breast pocket of his regulation khaki shirt. And as he slips one between his lips and lights it, the Motorola radio clipped to the pocket of his cargo shorts gives off a sharp distress call beep. He reaches for it, trying to guess what the problem could be when the reedy voice of Al Ronkowski from maintenance comes squawking through the static. He's bitching about how someone's parked in his spot. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty brutal. Eleven pages into the book, that paragraph stopped my brain working. <laughs> that's pretty awful. It's awful. Like as he slips one between the his lips and lights it, I, I, the whole thing, like the whole paragraph, is just so awkward and and shitty. It's shitty. It's terrible. It's terrible writing. All I could think of is that must be the part that um, that this Ledwidge guy wrote. Because Patterson would never write like that. He's written like well, 90 books or something. 63 at least. At least. So, um, yeah, I... Uh, oh, that's the um, the part with the two lions. That's the chapter with the, or the yes, whatever with the two lions. Yes, yes, yes. The prologue section, I think. Sure. Um, my, my point with reading that is that the writing is, is definitely inconsistent. And in most of the book, it's really not that good at all. It's very basic. It's very simple. Um, and it's very much in, they're just telling you what's happening. And like, there's the common writing thing of show, don't tell. This is all tell. There's lots to tell. And it's just, I mean, you can see what they're saying, but it just makes for such very flat and boring reading. Yeah. Um, it doesn't get much better when it goes to the to the first person narrator because the first person narrator is kind of a little bit of a tool i think 
Um, I'm also going to go into a quote just to give you an idea. So this is 27 pages in. I guess the, the part that we're trying to build here is these aren't slip-ups late in the book. This is all pretty early on. Um, I speed dialed my press agent to try to get on Fox. As usual, I got kicked immediately into voicemail. Even she thought I was nuts, and I paid her. Not a good sign. After I recorded my latest plea to her, I decided to do the only thing I could think of. I plugged myself into my iPod and blasted some motorhead to get some much-needed mental juices flowing. Help me, Lemmy. I slurped more Red Bull and tried to think while watching some more of the world's unfunniest videos. Yeah, I'm going to throw another quote in there. This is the very beginning of chapter one. So right after that prologue with the two lions. I woke up shaking. I panicked at first, thinking I was having a stroke or something. Then I opened my eyes, relieved, as I remembered it wasn't me that was shaking. It was my apartment. That was the first paragraph of the first chapter of the whole book. So I'm going to go back a little bit to development of the story. So at, at this point, I don't. I think we're going to go pretty spoiler heavy from here on out because there are some things that just goddamn need to be addressed. Yep. So Oz goes to Africa. He's attacked by lions. Loses a, <laughs> loses a friend. Um, now, but man, it, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to derail you, but how does his friend actually die? <laughs> okay. His friend dies in a car accident. <laughs> Sort of. Oz right. is driving and yeah. trying to get away from the lions and kills his friend. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, he, his friend was injured by lions, though, to be fair, and he probably wasn't going to make it, I'm thinking. I'm going to defend Oz on this. We're, we'll never know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Rob has an entire list of, <laughs> I'm sure we'll hear more and more from the list of issues he had with this book, but um, in order to be expedient, we'll jump forward a little bit. Um, so immediately after he escapes the lions in the car rack and his friend's dead corpse, um, he runs across another beautiful scientist who is uh, who's up like on a rock of some sort because alligators <laughs> are attacking her. And uh, he, he manages to help her get to safety. So that's where Chloe to, to sing Gnant comes in. And so there's the first half, I guess, half of the book, the first 50 chapters out of 98 or something are are essentially from, you know, him waking up because he doesn't know if he's having a stroke or not, uh, to going to Africa, getting the footage that he was hoping to get, escaping Africa back and getting back to the United States. That's like the first 50 chapters. And then I, I, I got started on this book way before Livius did. And um, so I got through like the first 50 chapters and something happens. <laughs> something happens at the... Beginning of chapter 50, I believe. Which is just... Alright, so I'm spoiling the shit out of this. So if, if anybody, for some reason, decides to read this book, don't listen if you don't want chapter 50 to get spoiled. So the, we, we get through this kind of harrowing experience, and it's all pretty linear, and, and it makes as much sense as it really needs to. And then chapter 50... Alright, so I think chapter 49, Livius gave me shit for not having a note about this. <laughs> he gets back from Africa with his... With his new French tart. and um, Well, now let's not forget, though, she immediately agrees to come to the United States with him. Like, directly from Africa. Yeah, because they need to save the world from animals. Right. And, um, yeah, so they she agrees to come. So they go to Washington, D.C. They fail to have a meeting with a senator to try to explain that the world is going to end by animals. Um, and then, of course, they're just like, they give up and they go to New York where his apartment is. Oh, his girlfriend, the the neurologist chick natalie with the red hair broke up with him while he was in africa um for really no reason that i could i could think of um besides the fact that was a goddamn loser he's kind of a douche (laughs) bit of a doucher um and so they go up to the apartment and his his ape his chimpanzee has just lost its shit while he was gone and the apartment is just completely demolished and there's just feces everywhere and he's pissed on everything he's broken everything that there is to break and um, he's gone ape. Yeah, he went. Oh, yeah. Oh, there's a quote. I, I can't. I can't even take. Yeah, I can't take credit for that. <laughs> it's in the goddamn book. That, that lame. It would be one thing if Livius came up with that lame joke. <laughs> it's in the book. So um. 
so he comes home and the chimpanzee like is starting freaking out and trying to attack him and then like escapes outside of out of broken window in the kitchen or whatever and they're surveying the damage in the apartment and eventually they get to the dead body of his girlfriend uh who was um feeding or taking care of the ape while he was gone and uh and she got attacked by the you know the the chimp and killed and so they find the dead body this it's very like whoa you know like this is very heavy moment um they find the dead body all the shit's going on they call the police it's all it's all getting very serious and then you turn the page you go to chapter 50 and literally like the first thing it says in chapter 50 is five years later so i texted libius and i was like chapter 50 i don't even know what to say about that i do want to roll back to chapter 49 though so we've got a guy who's trying to convince the world that animals are becoming aggressive towards humans. He spends time in chapter 49 wondering why his chimp would do this. Yeah, he's completely puzzled by <laughs> why his, ape, his chimpanzee would have, would have killed his girlfriend. Um, so here's, here's part of chapter 49 that needs to be addressed as well. Um, he finds his girlfriend dead. He comes out of the bedroom. Um, I'll just read it right from the book. I hardly noticed Chloe as I brushed past her in the hallway. I'd made it to the front door when Chloe grabbed my arm. What is it? Tell me, Oz, please. What's in there? I babbled. My, uh, my girlfriend. She balked, scrunched her face up. Her face showed confusion with the possibility of anger in it. I thought she was your ex-girlfriend. She is now. A little bit of a double entendre there. <laughs> Dude, but come on, he finds his ex-girlfriend, whatever, dead. And, and it's like comedic relief there. And then, yeah, and like she's, and the French chick is so petty as to just like squabble over whether like she's actually like broken up with him or not. Yeah. I, yeah. I, um, five years later. Maybe that's a good reason we moved five years later because that reminds us to, or doesn't remind us, it moves our thoughts away from that horrible fucking chapter. Well, well, you know that in life, when your monkey kills your girlfriend and runs away, you knock up a French girl and skip ahead five years in life. So, Which is exactly what Jackson Oz does right by the book. Yeah, so you jump ahead five years, and, and so what's going on in the world? There's these roving packs of animals that are attacking uh, people. Five years. I, anyway, so one of the scenes that, that happens pretty soon afterwards is there's this uh, helicopter that's in California or wherever, and it's it's like a news helicopter, I believe, that's filming an uh, automobile accident, and then it sees something weird, and it pans over, and there's this like flowing. It looks like a flood, um, but as they get closer, they realize it's just it's like thousands of dogs that are all moving together in a way that's again not typical of dogs, and um, so they're trying to get a better <laughs> these animal attacks. They just get so absurd, but they're trying to get a better, you know shot of this like just flowing sea of dogs and somehow and i don't really i must not have read it too closely but was there actually a flying pit bull or did they just get like low enough <laughs> like, close enough to the they ground got, they got close enough that a pit bull was able to jump and grab onto the 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 helicopter that like rail that it lands on um, much like an action adventure hero would like jumping off a building to get onto a helicopter yeah yeah but this is just a murderous pit bull. Yes. Which, you know, they didn't have to choose pit bull. That's painting pit bulls in a very stereotypical way. Yeah, but if you would have taken a chihuahua, it's, it just wouldn't have worked. Could have been like a golden retriever or like a black lab or something. That could be. That could be. Apparently, James Patterson is a dog racist. He is. For the remaining 49 chapters of the book... Um, Jackson Oz and his girlfriend managed to have more failed meetings <laughs> with people. <laughs> like everybody is all cool at scheduling a meeting with this guy. And the second <laughs> he shows up, they're like, Oh, sorry, we had to cancel. So he takes several trips to the white house, to Washington DC and back to New York and whatever. And at any rate, he finally, the government is taking him seriously and seeking out his, his help. So he works with this think tank of nerds to try to come up with solutions for why this is happening and how to stop it. That's the rest of the goddamn book. Yeah, pretty much. And the only other, these goddamn animal attacks. Can I, can I tell, can I tell you? Yes, you can. I know exactly what you're going to talk about. Chapter 58. (laughs) Starts out on a boat. I 
think in the Gulf of Mexico. Um, so the, the chapter starts out with, um, there's these guys on a fishing boat and they're, they're shrimpers or something. They're just, you know, they're, they're netting for shrimp or whatever. I don't know the term because I'm not a fisherman. Um, and they're, they're hauling in these like nets full of shrimp and that's what they're doing. And all of a sudden a dolphin launches itself out of the water and lands on the boat. And it's not any regular dolphin. It's a very aggressive dolphin who like when they try to like help it, you know, flips at it or whatever, <laughs> flips mm-hmm. at them. And so while they're trying to get this, help this dolphin get back into the ocean, another dolphin lands on their boat. And, and another dolphin. 30 more dolphins. <laughs> no, it ended up being like 100 or something. So essentially, after like, you know, several dolphins land on the boat, you realize that the dolphins somehow know that they can sink the boat by everybody jumping onto the boat. And so they sink a boat by just basically jumping up onto it and over, you know, sinking it by like overweighing it, basically. Yeah. And then they kill. And then they like they're like, the weird thing is these dolphins were like somehow happy about it. Like it was definitely a part of like that whole thing that the dolphins were were giddy or laughing or something. It was really strange, but they very joyfully killed these people, basically. Then there was the uh, the sewer dog orgy, which was like the, the the point in the book where Jackson Oz is in New York and he follows a dog like through basically all of Manhattan for some reason. Because the dog, well, no, no, for a reason, the dog looked purposeful. <laughs> it looked like it knew where it was going. It, it's what he said. He said, normally when you have a stray dog, they look kind of lost and frightened. This one is moving with a purpose. Well, it's a good thing that he could tell that this dog had some, was up to something because he follows his dog into a sewer and he watches these dogs having, well, he cr- crawls through shit, you know, for a while in the dark. And, <laughs> and <laughs> the weirdest thing is because he's following a dog into a place where I'm assuming he knows there's going to be a lot more dogs, even though dogs are attacking and devouring people. Um, but they're female dogs, so he's safe. Um, so he follows his dog and, and he, he's safe even though their dogs aren't acting how dogs normally do. Um, follows this dog and he finds this like underground like giant room full of dogs boning. Like they were just like he's, he said they're mating and they're snapping and biting at each other and they've got this like white kind of fungus on them or something and then like there's pregnant dogs that are having babies and and when he's describing this, I'm like, I thought about that scene in that second Matrix movie where they're all in like that Zion city, uh-huh. and like Morpheus gives his big speech, and then like the techno music goes on, and they're all just like dancing around naked and humping. But it was dogs. But it was dogs. Nice. Uh, in a sewer. Yeah. I... But that was the breakthrough moment because that's when he realizes that they're acting like insects and insects. Uh, influence each other through pheromones and he's like oh it's a pheromone and then like that's the breakthrough can i address my biggest concern about this book or or, or the thing that left me hanging the most of course <clears throat> chapter 39 so five years ago um the, uh, oz and chloe they they share a hotel room together they, <laughs> they don't do anything okay but they both wake up from having the exact same dream about burs, burs, bears murdering them in the hotel room that they're in. Like, Exxon wakes up and thinks that bears have broken down the door and they're eating his face. And when he finally figures out it's a dream, Chloe wakes up and she's like, oh, my God, I just had these, this dream that bears ate your face. Did you think that at some point they might address why they were having the exact same dream? Oh, yeah. I thought like, a lot of things about this book. Well, no, but like that somehow it was creeping over. Like they mentioned a couple of times, like the the hyper whatever they were calling it, aggression, like creeping over into, into people. And there were even like hints of it throughout the book. So I started thinking like, oh, OK, there's going to be some kind of horde consciousness between people or something. It just never gets brought up again. Yeah, it's kind of a one off. Yep. Yeah. Totally left. There was really no reason for it either. Well, I mean, if they just wanted to address and scare you with bears breaking down the hotel room, one of them could have had the dream. But there was no point in in having them both have the dream because that led to some, you know, either you're thinking something supernatural now or you're thinking, like I said, that it's really falling over into. And when I say it was they address it with people, too, is what I think when they first get to the United States, they're watching the news or something. And there's a young 
musician, punk rock musician woman is like beating at a cop car with like an umbrella or something. So I thought like, oh, it is spilling over into like, you know, junkies and people with mohawks or whatever. But again, just, you know, that's fine that they saw that that can happen. But people having the exact same dream, that's a little too coincidental to not be part of the plot. It could just be a very misguided attempt at um, showing that him and Chloe were meant to be together or something. Oh, God. You know what? I liked it being just hanging out there a little better than that. <laughs> Holy crap. Sadly, that's plausible enough that it's it's actually a possibility. Yeah. Can we talk about some other inconsistencies? <clears throat> Absolutely. So your girlfriend murdering ape uh, escapes through a window, and then you cut to five years later. Five years later, there's no ape in the picture. It's uh, you, your French girlfriend, or wife now, I guess. Um, and and their and your kid, and then for like twenty chapters, no chimpanzee. Wait, no, no, he did show up a little bit, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he shows up. All right, so I did much like you thought we were going to go back to the bear dream. Mm-hmm. I didn't think that we were going to go back to the chimpanzee, but we did, and I didn't really. I mean, I know in the end there was kind of a reason for him to be like he was like the leader of the aggressive animals. Yeah, and like all of New York, which is pretty cool. Yeah, he, <laughs> yeah, he's like the he's like the animal version of Rudy Giuliani. Yeah, yeah, no kidding, Jesus, with a red hat that he managed to keep for five years. Yeah, yeah, or John Gotti, I guess, because John Gotti was the king of New York, right? Yes. Anyway, uh, maybe I can't believe we've talked so long, like seriously, about this book. It's just so goddamn bad. Can we talk about technology a little bit? <laughs> yeah, sure. So one of the things that jumping ahead five years does is is gives you an excellent insight into the type of technology that's going to exist five years from now (laughs) jackson has an iphone in 2017 which yeah that makes sense the military though are using blackberries (laughs) which if anything was just like a giant giveaway that this book is bullshit it's the fact that he's got the military using blackberries um yeah that it, it, is that what it took to, to get you to think this i was, was like bullshit. oh this book is bullshit because <laughs> rob just threw down his kindle is like i'm not reading this crap anymore this is very obviously all fabricated i made it to chapter 83 i'm like i'm with you james i'm with you <sighs> what blackberries oh but i want to talk about i want to mention one of my favorite things in the entire book this is one of my notes <laughs> Chapter 72. Why does the protagonist know what a Gulfstream 650 airplane is? And then I was like, oh, I get it. This is the chapter that James Patterson wrote. Because a Gulfstream 650 apparently is a very, very expensive personal jet. There you go. James Patterson has to write from book, or fly from book mill to book mill. So might as well do it in style. Yeah, he's got to get there somehow. Oh, one more thing. I'm just thinking, all right, so you were talking about how this might this aggression might lead over into humans and like towards the end of the book it's like 80 chapter 87 mm-hmm. someone says something about human zombies joining the four legged ones it's like a quote that i wrote down anything is possible they said something something in human zombies to join the four legged ones anything is possible and it was just like this rambling nonsense and i'm mm-hmm. thinking what the f-, you know like again this is just so baffling that that they would introduce these things so haphazardly and not tie them together at all. Like if this is a concept you're going to introduce, either make me understand that it's some crackpot just muttering nonsense or, or somehow tie it in with something that's going on in the book. But if you just make random things like that, it so confuses like the only part of the plot that's consistent in the entire book. Yeah. It, and you know, and here's, here's the thing too. So they address the science and, and I don't know how much you want to give away, but so they figure out how to completely stop the animal attacks. Okay. So they kind of know that there's something causing it that doesn't affect humans. So, I mean, the science is explained away. So it's not like it really could bleed over into humans. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So that's a little weird. I think that we were just expecting way too much, like consistency or rationality or reasonableness from this book. I mean, like 
I don't know if it's a function of the fact that they're presenting it as a book that was written by two people or just that it's just a terribly written book, but I mean, it's so inconsistent and so just simple in not a good way. Like there's good simple where it's like, oh, this book is easy to read and I really enjoyed it. And there's bad simple where it's like, did a fucking child write this book? Yeah. Help me, Lemmy. Lemmy needs to, yeah, help us all. my only hope. (laughs) Do you want to jump onto some quotes? I don't really have very many. Um, just because this wasn't even quotable from a from a funny standpoint in, in most spots. So, yeah, I'll do a couple. Um, <clears throat> my first quote is uh, kind of the way I, I actually flipped back to this to, to bookmark this quote. Um, just because I thought this this kind of really exemplified our, our narrator. It's a uh, it's chapter two. So it's a little after the prologue. It's the second chapter that's written from Jackson Oz's standpoint. I hopped out of bed wearing a pair of wrinkled gray pajama bottoms that the Air Force had gifted me with on a recent flight to Paris. Oh, hey, you hear that? Paris. Never mind. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You gotta look really close to the cover and see if there's any pajamas on it. Yeah, I would say that, or it's like a postcard he brought home from him that that's referencing. (laughs) Um, I'm sorry. uh, Recent flight to Paris. Shaved, showered, teeth brushed. I got back into the fancy French pajamas. Working from home has its perks. Okay, working implies that I was making money. This was another kind of work. Anyway, they were really comfortable pajamas. Yeah. I don't even understand who. So I'm going to go on and just explain. So coming out of my bedroom, I retrieved another prized possession from the doorknob, my fire engine red woolen hat, which I'd acquired on a recent trip to Alaska. Okay. That's the hat the chimpanzee is wearing five plus years later. Yeah. And the only reason that hat exists is so that there will be a chimpanzee wearing a red hat five years later. So that we know it's his chimpanzee. Right. Yeah. Horrible plot device. Like if he was Indiana Jones and, you know, that hat was with him and he'd established, you know, he really needs to have this hat and, you know, jump back into a den of lions to get his hat. And then, you know, like I would understand that the hat is only brought up so that the chimpanzee can be wearing it five years later. Mm-hmm. Well, it only goes uphill from there. Here's some of the clever uh, uh, writing you can expect from this book. This is towards the beginning. For breakfast, they gave him a mango and a snack of Fig Newtons, which he went ape over. (sighs) All right, here's another one. How He's reflecting on how crazy his theory is. I know what you're thinking. I'm either a left-wing animal rights loon, or I watched one too many episodes of BJ and the Bear as a kid, or insane, or an idiot. Well, Jackson, I think you're an idiot and insane. I think that I think that Rob just cast his vote there. Really quickly, it's writing like this. It makes me want to punch people. The implausibilities kept compounding, one on top of another, as if there's a different fucking way to compound. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'm going to read this just to set up how important this statement is that he then qualifies at the end. For some reason I hadn't pinned down yet, some kind of concerted trans-species evolutionary backlash against Homo sapiens was underway. So that's pretty serious, right? Like, you know, Mm -hmm. explains pretty serious stuff, right? Or, to put it in other terms, something was driving animals to go haywire, and the time to do something about it was running out quicker than the plastic wand supply at a Harry Potter convention. If it wasn't on my iPad, I would have thrown the goddamn book across the room I don't have anything else to quote I don't even really have anything else to say about this goddamn book this is in the five years later part of the book at first I thought HAC had a viral origin I said looking around the table from face to face everyone nodded back at me at first he's been at it for 10 years if you can't figure out within 10 I'm not even a scientist I know that if you look at an animal, and you can't find a virus, it's not a viral origin. I'm thinking you might have been on his team if this was actually happening. Yeah, well, you know, he could have used me, that's what I'm saying. I'd have been that guy at the back that's like, you know, I don't want to be the asshole that points out something very obvious, but... (laughs) Oh, here's a good one. Instead, you're that guy on this podcast. I'm the asshole on the podcast. (sighs) Um, (laughs) 
um, here's a really good line. Shutting that door was the hardest thing that I'd done any time lately. <laughs> At one point, there's a line that says he's focusing on trying to keep his eyeballs from rolling out of his sockets. Yeah, that's pretty much how I felt the whole book. I will say this, that the narrator got better in the five years later. Not consciously better. There was nothing to really show that he had changed as a person, but I thought he was a little less cheesy in the second half of the book. Are you ready for a little bit more then? Yeah, sure. I'm going to smack that down. Okay, here we Page go. Page 301. <laughs> now how the hell am I going to get home? I was stuck. I'm going to... No, no, no. Here's another one. Why is this happening? Who knows, really? I'm going to go ahead and withdraw my previous statement. Now. God damn it, man. All right. No, no, no. Here's one of the best. <laughs> this is so good. Um, there's a protest going on in D.C., and this is part. This is towards the end of the book. Um, everything has gone nuts, I thought, shaking my head. Animals, the president, college kids. What? What? Oh, James Patterson. How have I missed you for all these years? <sighs> He's grossed over $3 billion in worldwide sales. You know I what? I just want to throw that out there. That's And here's the thing. if I, I'm, I'm putting myself in his very expensive shoes and thinking to myself, if I'm worth even like, a, a, you know, a one billion. If I'm worth like ten million dollars, and my publisher's like, you know what, just give us pretty much anything, and and we'll take it. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put as little effort in as possible. I'm just going to collect the paycheck and just phone it in. It makes sense. That's what I would do. Talk a little bit about this book standing right now on Amazon. Oh yeah. It is currently number seventy. And so the book came out ten days ago. It is currently number seventy-two in books. Um, I don't know how high it got. I mean, we're 10 days out. Something in Patterson releases probably do pretty well on release day. Um, it's definitely not in the top five, thank God. Ratings-wise, before we give our ratings, would you like to talk a little bit about the numbers? Yeah. I, I, if, if we have time, I'd like to just maybe read a couple of them. <clears throat> right now on Amazon, Zoo has 77 ratings. Uh, An and overall score of 2.2 out of 5. So it's pretty low. And if you look at the numbers, the breakdown is five stars. There's 10, 10 five-star ratings, eight four-stars, eight three-stars, 14 two-stars, and 37 one-star ratings. People don't really like this book is what I'm getting. Um, there was a really good five-star rating that I want to kind of pull some stuff from. Yeah, go ahead. Why, why don't you pick one five-star? I'll pick one one-star. How about we do that? Okay. Um, here is a... One of the one-star reviews that I saw that was kind of interesting. There's <laughs> actually quite a few, but uh, this review is from Red Rose, who gave it one star, I'm assuming because that's the minimum you can give. I was really excited about this book coming out. It sounded so interesting from the description. <laughs> the first part of this book had so much potential, and then it took a completely annoying turn for the second half of the book. It was confusing and not at all believable, I found myself feeling angry that I got tricked into buying another Go Green book. Very disappointing. Holy crap. I don't want to give this a really bad review because that puts me in the same category as this person who was really excited about the book coming out. It sounded so interesting and was very confused. Were you confused by the second half of the book? There's no way that you could possibly be confused by the second half yeah. of the book. Yeah. My only confusion came in that, that join dream sequence. Other than that, I, yeah. There's, yeah, I don't know. And I guess I didn't think of it as a go green book, but I guess I'll have to give Red Rose credit because I guess I could see where that kind of came up a little bit. I guess. All right. Nikki K gave this a five-star rating. And uh, the title of the review is Awesome. Awesome spelled A-W-S-O-M-E. Nikki K says, <laughs> I really do think this is one of the best books I have read. Maybe it's just because I love anything to do with the end of the world, since they really make me think this can happen. Plus, an animal uprising, hello. We kind of had it coming. 
<laughs> I don't know, and I cannot believe that some of the reviews are calling this crap. I think that if you gave this a bad review, read it again. <laughs> no, no. I recommend this book to any reader and fan of James Patterson. God and then, damn it. I don't want to read thought this book sucked. Just keep reading it keep until going. it gets better. Eventually, you'll get it. I don't want to read a full another review, but I, I uh, at the end of one of the other five-star reviews by Dennis W. Hurst, he's really praising James Patterson. He says, will he dupe this one? Only time will tell. Stop spelled with two O's. Here's here's another one. Very disappointing. So this is Jay Brooks, son or sooner born in quotes. I don't know what the hell that means. It says, very disappointing and boring book. Free chapters were great. That's like the first 30 chapters, right? 23. Okay. Those weren't great. No. Maybe it was different. Maybe maybe by free chapters. Maybe he got some bonus <laughs> chapters that explained that dream sequence thing. And maybe it was a lot more about the monkey. Like, I thought the chimpanzee, I like those chapters. The chimpanzee's point of view on things was pretty cool. Honestly, seriously, I actually thought that was, like, the only thing I found redeeming about this book. And that was, like, three chapters out of 96. Okay. All right, hang on. I got to go a little bit into this one. Jason Frost, uh, who who calls himself Rubicon Reader. Don't know what that means, but he's a top 1,000 reviewer on Amazon. Well, now, this was a fun book. You ever wonder what would happen if animals developed a conscience? What? All right. <laughs> what would happen if they decided that they were sick and tired of being locked inside that house? Sick of being locked inside a cage? Sick of eating nasty pet food? In zoo, we find out. Yeah, because that's what caused the fucking animals to do it. Yeah, uh, in scary, bloody, and horrific fashion. The basic plot, and the animals have lost their damn mind, and the roles between man and beast have been reversed. The delicate balance that is between predator and prey pet and owner is not so delicate anymore we become the number four value meal and the animals are damn hungry i know what you're thinking is this like planet of the apes no not unless i missed the part where the apes went paula dean on detroit blah 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 um he thinks that the animals got fed up with us yeah i heard maybe he just read the free chapters I'm thinking he read the free chapters and that's why he's a top 1000 reviewer. Yeah. I guess that's probably enough of uh, other people's summation. You're ready to, to do some summing up on your own and give this some star. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll go first. This book was terrible. Zero stars. All right. <laughs> Let's see if I can hold this up. Um, I'm going to go just a little bit deeper into my my uh, wrap-up for this. So um, terrible plot, terrible narrator. Um, the explanation was kind of hokey. There were loose ends. The writing was poor. Um, I'm going to say this. So I am also going to go ahead and say I give it zero stars. I want to remind people that I didn't give zero stars to Fifty Shades of Grey, which I thought, quite honestly, comparatively speaking, was a much better book. Yes, I fully agree. Yeah. So if anybody heard our Fifty Shades of Grey episode, I want you guys to think back to that and just hear that both of us said that that was a much better book. The story about an abusive relationship with lame sex is better than what has been called by multiple sources the best James Patterson book ever written. Something is very seriously wrong with the situation. Well, sadly, that's marketing. But I mean, in a way, I kind of feel slighted that we read this and that we're I mean, let's you can only rate things one star or more on Amazon. So we're actually going outside of our own rule where we use the Amazon system. But um, and I think it might be the same thing on Goodreads. I think you'll have to mark this as one star, right? Don't they start at one star? Yeah. Yeah. Um. We're pretty much with everybody. I mean, there's there's the vast majority of the reviews are one star, which I'm sure people would have marked as zero stars, just like we did had we have been able to. So I was kind of hoping that we'd go against the grain, that people would be like, oh, this is great, kind of like Fifty Shades. Lots of five-star reviews, lots of four-star reviews, eh, some one-star reviews. No, this is overwhelmingly being called crap by uh, by lots of people. Lots of people. So It's too bad, too, because, like, 
we've been giving James Patterson shit for a long time, not because of the content of, of what he writes, quote unquote, um, but really just because of some of the practices that we've witnessed, you know, the whole book mill idea, like he just basically, there's no way he writes 14 books a year on his own. He writes his name onto someone else's book and calls it his own. And so we, we've been criticizing him based on those type of practices. And we really came into this as objective and open-minded, I think, as we could possibly be. And it was just so like overwhelmingly disappointing. Like it, it's, it, I mean, it's too bad because we were trying to be good people, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, he didn't give us a chance. <laughs> he didn't give us a chance to be nice to him, I guess. Yeah. I mean, we try to go into every single review, open, even 50 shades of gray. I went into a very open-minded, tried to look for the good in the book, you know, not just the bad. And typically I said here, you know, it was good. I like the chimpanzee. There are a couple chapters from the chimpanzee's point of view. I thought those were pretty good and kind of interesting. That was 3% of the book. The other thing I found interesting, so Rob, let's say you and I co-authored a book about animals that um, become hyper-aggressive towards humans, okay? I think on the dedication page, we'd, we'd each have our own dedication line, right? Yeah. Yeah. Patterson couldn't even be bothered to help dedicate to dedicate this book that he, I'm doing the quotes with my fingers, helped, you know, co-author. There is just a dedication from, from uh, Michael Ledwidge on this. I, I I doubt Patterson even read any of this before it went to the publisher. Yeah, that's just sad too. I mean, it really paints a picture of like, you know, Patterson probably didn't even he probably had an assistant whose assistant coordinated the situation. You know, it's like it's probably a couple levels removed from him, and and you know he just you know it meets the obligations. Someone I know read it and said it was gave it the thumbs up or. I've written books with him before, so let's just do it, that type of thing. And, like, you know, it just, yeah, I agree with you. Totally careless and, and thoughtless. Well, and, and here's the, the other part. This is now becoming, um, you know, advertising. If you think that Shaquille O'Neal drives a Chrysler or whatever it is he's doing the commercials for, if you <laughs> think that, you know, some of the most beautiful women in the world use, like, you know, cheap cover girl makeup that you pick up at Walgreens, like you're kidding yourself. Sadly, though, that's what this has become. This is James Patterson signing off on a piece of work like, you know, like he's getting paid to do a commercial. Yep. And the real shame, I mean, like the real person that suffers in this, I mean, no one, I mean, it's really a first world problem, but like the people that suffer is are the people that don't realize that there are good books out there because they see it in Walmart or Target or wherever they see it and they think, oh, this is big enough to be here. It must be the best book you know, that's out there. So they don't really have a perspective of realizing that there's actually really well-written stories out there that are so worth reading and that will actually change your life and make you think and make you like want to read more. It's just, that's really the tragedy. Well, and let's be honest, people were hurt for at least $15 for an ebook like we were. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, James Patterson, you made us sad. It's James Satterson. Oh, man. How many months has that been brewing? <laughs> About oh, seven seconds, really, to be honest. Oh, God, that was pretty good, James Satterson. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, I'd i like to have my time back. So is there anything we could do to cheer ourselves up here? Yeah, you know, Skip Papersley usually manages to cheer me up. All right, let's just go right into that. Here's uh, Skip Papersley with the latest episode of Booked News. This is Book News. I'm Skip Papersley. This week in Book News, someone found Sylvia Plath's copy of The Great Gatsby and has put it on the internet. Julia Fierro, the director of the Sackett Street Writers Workshop, put a single page of the Fitzgerald Classic on juliafierra.tumblr.com. The scan has the following passage underlined. She told me it was a girl, so I turned my head away and read. All right, I said. I'm glad it's a girl. And I hope she'll be a fool. That's the best thing a girl can be in this world. A beautiful, foolish girl. The following paragraph is annotated with a single word. La ennui, which is French for... Gone Girl by Gillian Flynn is number one still, and U.S. presidential candidates Barack Obama and Mitt Romney both agree it is the best book ever written. Once they agreed on that, they were soon realizing that they weren't so different after all and started working together. 
a new American golden age soon began. Now the bestsellers in fiction recap. The Light Between the Oceans by M.L. Stedman is sinking at number five. Number four is Bones Are Forever by Kathy Reichs, a book about confusing bones and diamonds. Tess Gersten's book Last to Die is looking shaky at number three. Louise Penny's The Beautiful Mystery makes us wonder why she's number two. And finally, Gillian Flynn, still number one with Gone Girl. This is Ben Book News. I'm Skip Papersley, signing off. God damn it. Skip Papersley is not only funny and brings us news, but I like his reading voice. <laughs> I know. He got um, all goddamn serious on there. He's going to do my ebook. When I have an ebook, he's going to narrate the ebook for me. And that's how you say ennui. I always wondered. Mm-hmm. I guess I don't watch enough John Cusack movies to know how to say ennui. I don't even know what that means. I don't know either. It probably makes sense to someone out there. Someone get back to me if that makes any sense. Um, oh. Can I go back to the um, the Patterson book really quickly for one thing? Only if you must. Livius mentioned that I had a kind of running list of notes from the the whole book. And I'm just going to go ahead and post them up on the uh, booked bonus WordPress site so that people can see kind of what was going through my head while we were while I was reading this book. I think it's interest it's entertaining enough to to share with the world. I uh, I've read that and some of them are just goddamn funny. Yes, I think that would be a good place for them. Cool. All right, we got anything else before we wrap this uh, really sadly depressing uh, uh, book review up? Yes, I have a burst of good news. Good news for once. Well, for this episode, at any rate, um, <laughs> other than Patterson having a new book out, um, it appears that our friend Nick Corpin um, released uh, his collection of short stories on well, Snubnose Press released it um, today. The day we're recording this bar scars is now available um, on Amazon. It's been published by Snubnose Press. Uh, it's available in ebook only, I believe, at this time. And and so you can go and buy Zoo for fifteen dollars. Or you can buy five copies of Bar Scars, one for yourself, and gift four of them away for the same price. I know what I would do. What would you do? I'd buy the Bar Scars and give them out to yeah, people. Yeah. You'd buy the Bar Scars for three bucks and then go have two lattes while you were reading it. Let's be honest. That's what you'd do. <laughs> Speaking of Bar Scars um, and Nick Corpon, he was, he was in Chicago for AWP, and uh, he attended the... Wrong kind of reading with us at the Galway Arms. And I have this very lovely picture of him. Uh, afterwards, we were hanging out downstairs drinking and hanging out and everything. And um, there's this nice picture of him and what's, I guess, maybe not so commonly referred to as a Canadian tuxedo. You know what I'm talking about here? I have no clue. You know what a Canadian tuxedo is? I do not. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's when you're wearing uh, a denim jacket and jeans. Oh, Canadian tuxedo. So he's all Canadian tuxedoed out. And um, he, I think someone had spilled a drink on him. So it definitely looks like, uh, like right where the, the drink spilled on his pants, it looked like he peed all over himself. So, see, now I heard he did pee all over himself. Really? No, I hmm. didn't. I did not. I shouldn't even say that. That's not <laughs> so, a good guy. So, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put that picture of the very fetching picture of Nick Corpon. Uh, in his Canadian tuxedo, looking like he had just pissed himself on our website. And if you click on, clink or click, if you could click on the picture, or you can click on the picture, if you click on that, that's going to take you to Amazon where you can buy uh, bar scars. Or um, his urine stained jeans. Oh, so there you go, Nick Corpon. Um, we love you so much, we have to bring up embarrassing stories from when we're hanging out with you. Yeah, so um, I've got to tell you that uh, over the next couple of weeks, that is definitely going to be on my reading list. Liv's Lunches may have some Nick Corpon in them. Good old Liv's Lunches. That's right. <laughs> I like that that's a real thing. It is a real thing now. That's awesome. I think you created that thing. I did. Um, what are we reading next? Um, I know what we're reading next, but the next episode you're likely to hear, um, we're going to do something kind of cool, something we haven't done since Warmed and Bound. Um, we are doing a series of interviews. 
leading up to the release of Noir at the Bar 2. So now hold on a second, guys, because I hear some of you tuning out going, God, we can't listen to 17 more interviews. It's not going to be 17. It's going to be considerably less. But uh, I've got to tell you, we have some very, very interesting um, and very um, well-known authors that will be uh, joining us for a little mini series of interviews leading up to Noir at the Bar 2. Yeah, we've already got a little bit of that uh, audio set up, and it's been fun so far. Uh, interesting stuff. And, um, yeah, so I guess you're going to be checking out some Noir at the Bar sessions coming up soon. Oh, is that what we're calling them? We have to if we did Noir to Bound sessions, and this is the same kind of thing. Yeah, that's a good point. I like that, though. It has a good sound to it. I know. Cool. So that's what will be next. Um, I think I know which one it's going to be, but I'm not going to say. Keep them guessing. Keep them coming back. Yeah. I got to tell you, I've had a, a lot of fun in the last two interviews we did. Hell yeah. Hell yes. Way more fun than reading a James Patterson book. Yeah, at least three times as fun. <laughs> All right. So that's coming up. Lots of Noir at the Bar fun. Some pretty cool interviews. I know that we had kind of sh- strayed away from interviews for a while, and we've got just, we're packing them in, we're piling them up interviews all over the place we're getting really good authors and just some really exciting conversations going on so i'm really glad we're moving back in that direction a little bit because um it just gets boring right if it's just you and me shouldn't say that we want people to listen to us i didn't think it was getting boring just you and me Uh oh Uh oh well we might have to cut this off so i can go make up with livius until next time i'm livius ned Cheer up, buddy. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading.